0: You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. We're in a series in the book of 1 Peter, so if you have your Bibles, uh, I would invite you to go ahead and make your way to chapter 4. Now, we have been in this series, and it is called Living Excellent Lives. And so for those of you who are the chronologically gifted, not exactly Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but it's sort of the idea of how do you live an excellent life when you struggle, when you suffer, and when you're uncertain of what is right around the corner. Peter writes to churches that are facing adversity and suffering. He writes in a place where it is not easy to claim the name of Jesus. And he's been taking us on this journey so that people might be encouraged. And today, as we come to chapter four, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 19. What does it mean if we suffer for Christ's sake? What does that really look like? Now, for us, and depending on where you have come from, some things that will be important for us to establish is this. Uh, We all struggle with the reality that suffering is a part of a Christian's normal life. Peter struggled with this as well. So when he writes in this letter, this is something that he's had to battle through and figure out. It must seem like a lifetime ago that as he writes this letter, he remembers this young rabbi, Jesus, who comes by and calls him. And early on, hearing this incredible sermon on the side of a mountain, and as he comes through these things that we normally call these beatitudes, the blessed life, As he gets to verses 10 and 11 in Matthew 5 there, he lists a couple of things that for Peter at that point must have been just kind of foreign to his ears. He says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. And he goes on to say, blessed are you when you are reviled on account of me. We hear those things and we're like, okay, yep, got it. Moving on. But we really don't because when reality hits, Suffering is something that we try to avoid all Peter struggled with this as well. There it says Caesarea Philippi. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? They list off some people. He says, but who do you say that I am? Peter gives a brilliant answer. You're the Christ, the son of the living God coming to the world. It's this rock I'm going to build my church on. And then Jesus starts to explain to his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer at the hands of the religious and the high priest. I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be raised. And the same Peter can't get his mind around the idea of suffering for salvation. Can't get his mind around the idea of suffering being a joyful thing. And he pulls Jesus aside. And he rebukes him. And then Jesus offers those stinging words. Get behind me. Satan. Your mind's on the wrong things. You're not understanding this correctly. He immediately goes into his teaching to explain that a life of following Jesus is a life of self-denial and death, daily dying to self and taking up a cross, for if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He continues to struggle with it, and he gets through these places, but Jesus over and over and over would say to them, listen, if they persecuted the prophets before you, what makes you think they're not going to persecute you? And if they persecute me, John 15, what makes you think that they won't persecute you? Peter still doesn't like this. He's still struggling with this. And so on the night that Jesus is betrayed, when an angry mob comes to take Jesus away, Peter's like, "Nope, we're not doing it this way. He takes a sword and he immediately takes a swipe at a servant named Malchus. To which Jesus turns and rebukes him. He does not say how courageous that you would be willing to die at the hands of this mob. Instead he rebukes him and says, Peter, I have to drink this cup of suffering. This is why I've come. Suffering should be the norm for Christians. But Peter's still struggling. Peter still struggles. And so he has the opposite reaction. And just a few minutes later in the courtyard outside of the high priest's home when he has an opportunity to say, yes, I'm with Jesus, I identify with him, a servant girl asks and he denies it three times. But boy, I'm so thankful for grace. And I'm so thankful that the Bible is not this book of these paragons of sinless perfection who got it all right and had it all together. Instead, it's filled with guys who talk first, think later, and normally cause a lot of trouble along the way. Because you see the transforming power of God's Holy Spirit Not 40 days removed from the crucifixion and resurrection. Pentecost as the Holy Spirit comes in power. Not only is Peter transformed and we see him explaining these minor Old Testament prophets. But then we see him having the same opportunity. And he says, listen, whether we're going to listen to you or God, you're going to have to choose for yourself. But for us, we belong to Jesus. We cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard beaten, imprisoned, and you would think, maybe sulking, thinking, I, I mean, I took a stand. Why am, I, why am I suffering like this? But instead leaving, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer. You see, everything about this is antithetical to our culture. We spend millions of dollars to avoid suffering. We'll do everything we can to avoid discomfort, pain, or suffering. Self-care, medications, whatever we do, we want to avoid and remove all the pain, but we all know that that's not possible. We live in a broken place where bad things, evil things, wicked things happen. We live in places where relationships don't work out like we hoped. Places where health fails and we didn't think that it would. We find ourselves in a culture where it seems like things that we've stood on for generations are now all shifting sand, quicksand that we can't find a foot to stand in. And now to bear the name of Christ is no longer something to be celebrated, but it's something that is generally vilified as disdain for organized religion. And sometimes we think it odd that we should suffer. But dear ones, I want you to know suffering is the norm for the Christian. Peter's going to tell us in a minute, don't be surprised when it happens. Suffering is the norm, and I want you to know, our suffering is really mild when you compare history. When you look at some of the things that have happened throughout history for those who would hold fast to the name of Jesus. When it comes to suffering, though, you say, okay, well, if suffering is supposed to be normal, I just got to let you know, John, I hate it. What am I supposed to do? In our struggle, we start to think, or at least I will go ahead and confess my sin. I start to think that God has lost track of things. Maybe he's forgotten where I am. Maybe he doesn't understand what it's really like for me. I think that somehow now I'm the victim of my circumstances and there's not a sovereign king who's ruling over all things and who has me in his hand and won't let me go. Instead, I'm thinking, Jesus, you fell asleep at the wheel. Now I'm in this mess and it's your job to get me out of it. But instead of giving in to resentment or anger or despair, Peter wants to paint for us a different picture. He he wants us to see suffering in a much different way. And so I want us to take a few moments and unpack how we're supposed to contend with this. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 12. Would you stand with me that we might honor the reading of God's word this morning? The Bible says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when the His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. May God bless the reading of his word. Receive it as such this morning. You may be seated. So Peter doesn't detail what the suffering is. He just tells us some things about it. And he says things like, don't be surprised. Don't think it odd or strange. Christians should expect to suffer. Now, I know there are some places where you may hear that Christians should never suffer, and Christians who suffer just didn't have enough faith. The problem is we must reconcile things with Scripture and not go by the opinions of man. And I'll give it to you in the red letters. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Not because, and he put no qualifiers, not because if you had faith or you didn't have faith, he just said, in the world, you're, this world, you're going to have trouble. So how are we supposed to deal with suffering? And when we struggle... We're trying to figure out how do we cope, and Peter wants to lay it out for us. So he gives you some things. The first thing I already told you, suffering is normal for the Christian. Now, when we read this letter, it's important when you see a word like beloved in verse 12 to note that we're making a transition. This is a similar transition to what we saw in chapter 2 in verse 11. When you read this, we usually take it apart and we teach through little bits of it, but I want you to remember it's one letter. It wasn't read over several weeks to the congregations. And sometimes you read when these hooks return. It's like that hook in the song. It keeps coming back to that chorus that we all know and nod our heads to. And this is one of those places when you see words like suffering and glory. But even when you see this, beloved. And and he says to us, "I, I don't want you to be surprised at the fiery trial. Now, I wish he had chosen some different words than fiery trial. I was hoping he would choose something like, Lukewarm, mild discomfort or pillow topped pain, right? I I was hoping there would be something. When he says fiery trial, my mind does not think, I'm excited about this. But Peter says, don't be surprised when the fiery trial. Comes. Now, it's interesting, if you look earlier in the chapter, back at verse 4, when he says, you know, we're not supposed to be surprised when trials come, he does say earlier in 4 verse 4 that non-Christians are going to be really surprised when you don't join them in their wickedness. But Christians don't be surprised when suffering comes as a result You see, instead of us getting to this place of resentment and anger, feeling like we have been abandoned, this is actually an opportunity for us to receive an even greater measure of the Spirit's manifest presence in our lives. The problem is I don't see it that way. I don't understand it that way. I often wonder where God has gone and if he really cares and if he's, abandoned me in my time of need, and that's why Peter says, I want to tackle this feeling with some really, really important truth. So he says, you can rejoice and be glad. Now, when it comes to rejoicing, we often fall into two traps when it comes to suffering. We think that either when bad things happen, you're supposed to pretend like nothing is wrong. Y'all know that church face that we all make? When like the world is crumbling around us, we come in, somebody says good morning, we go, good morning. (laughs) How are you? Fine, fine, just fine. I didn't make my mortgage payment, my wife doesn't like me, I fought with the kids all night, I'm barely here, I don't want to be. And we put on those, it's fine, it's all fine. But I want you to understand when it comes to this, the idea of having faith is not this resolute stoicism where you never react to the pain around you. That pain is real. And if we are, as a family, to embrace those things, then we must learn to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and dance with those who dance. The Bible never pretends that pain is not there and it's not real. You, some of you know that experience, that the psalmist, that David would say, You know what it's like in the middle of the night when you can't stop crying and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried but the pain won't leave you and you know what it's like when the psalmist says, I have wet my couch with my tears. It is soaking wet and I can't stop crying. You know that feeling when the psalmist says, I didn't even have to eat a meal because my tears are my meal. I can't do anything but cry. I'm suffering I think sometimes we get to that place where we think, you know what? We just won't pretend. We'll just remove ourselves. Or sometimes we get to that place where we just, this is the expected answer. Dear ones, I want you to know, as a family of missionary servants, part of family is loving people wherever they are. Sometimes suffering is hard to cope with. And not everyone deals with grief and sorrow in the same way. And we don't just need pithy bumper bumper stickers and small little sentences to try to dismiss the pain of someone who has been struggling for years. Instead, with a patient endurance and a furious love, we got to keep pointing to the things that we know to be true. God is actually working through our suffering. And to me, this is just, it's hard for me to get my mind around this. But Peter's mind is going back, and he can remember that sermon on the mount. This is not the first time this has been said in Scripture. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you if you are reviled on account of me. God is working through our suffering, to conform us to the image of Christ because he who began that good work will be faithful to bring it to completion. Christ cannot fail in his work. Your suffering does not mean that he has abandoned you. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. A broken and contrite heart, God never refuses. He is always near, an ever-present help in time of trouble. He is not aloof to your suffering. He is not unconcerned. He is loving you and working through it. The other thing that happens for us when we live this way, Peter gives those qualifiers. He says, listen, if you're going to suffer, don't suffer for stuff that you did. He gives us a non-exhaustive list. You know, sometimes we suffer and we deserve it. As a strong-willed child in my house, I always had to learn the hard way, it seems. My mother would say I'm still the strong-willed child in my house. On one particular occasion, I was given a directive. I don't remember if it was mom or dad. It really didn't matter. Obedience wasn't my thing. They told me to do something or told me this or that, and I was just like, nope. So my dad, now I'll just go ahead and warn you. For those of you who think spanking children stunts their creativity and you shouldn't do it, please do not tell Ed Nix that. They will spank you for telling them that. All right? Just warning you. My dad used to carry... Around with him, he said, it's on me all the time. He called his belt the persuader. (laughs) He had a lot of names for it, but he called it a persuader. And he said, here's what I found, son. I have found that if I take this belt, this persuader, I think that there is a spring in your rear end. And when I hit it just hard enough in the right spot, it opens your ears and you can hear. (laughs) Ed was normally applying the persuader. To the spring in my rear end. Let me just say it that way. On this particular occasion, I disobeyed. We'll just call it any other day that ends in Y. Dad took off the persuader, gave me a little swat. My mom, as best my mom can describe it, she said, through gritted teeth, tears at the edges of the eyes, I looked him straight in the face and went, That didn't hurt. Beloved, do not be surprised when a fiery trial overcomes you. (laughs) That fire was applied regularly and repeatedly to my rear end, and I confessed the pain that I was feeling, and the ears were suddenly opened. Sometimes we suffer due to our own actions. And Peter makes a weird turn in this passage. It's like everything up to this point, he's been saying, this is when the wicked, this is when the world, this is when other people, they're persecuting you and doing this. And then all of a sudden, he turns around and starts talking about judgment at the household of faith. You see, the truth is, and we don't really like it. I didn't like it when I was at home with dad and mom. Because God loves us and we are his children, he disciplines us for our protection and our good. When we disobey when we decide, you shouldn't be God, I should. You don't understand, I'm different. You don't get my circumstances, God. You can't identify with what I'm facing. I think you should change the rules for this, or I'm just going to completely ignore it because this is what I want to do. We often find ourselves under the discipline of God. See, judgment starts at the household of faith, and then he, he quotes from Proverbs and says, and the righteous is scarcely saved, so what will become of the ungodly and the sinner, what Peter's doing is he's using a lesser to greater argument. And so he says, listen, saving you is not difficult for Christ. But if we, through suffering and judgment, will enter into the kingdom, then how much worse is it for those who will not enter the kingdom? And so when it comes to this, sometimes we're disciplined Because it's a means of purifying us. But when we walk well in suffering, we are showing the world that Jesus is enough. And it's more important than popularity or approval or comfort or security. When we say, you know what? I am suffering right now. But I trust God. In my life, I have seen living testimonies before me. Many times. Of saints i know have spent a lot of time with the lord facing unbelievable suffering i i can think of so many times in a hospital room knowing that death is right there and i can see saints say john don't worry it's okay i know who owns the land on both sides of the river i'm good You see, suffering for us as Christians is normal because we can see it differently because it's not the end. And, and, and Peter wants them to know listen, don't suffer because you were acting sinfully, but if you suffer on account of Christ, if it's genuine suffering on account of Christ, then I want you to do this. I want you, verse 19, to entrust your souls. To a faithful creator. And notice what he says, while doing good. You see, someone else's sin doesn't give you license to sin. As a primary disciple maker in my home, this is something we have to rehearse with my children regularly. You know, we'll have some sort of discussion, which is a code word for a knockdown drag out. And in that discussion, I will try to find out what exactly transpired. And one of them will say, well, they did this to me. And we have to discuss. Someone else's sin does not give you license to sin on top of it. Peter says, listen, don't suffer for doing sinful deeds toward other people. But if you're going to suffer, suffer well for Christ and keep doing good to those. You can hear Jesus' words, love your enemies. You can hear Jesus' words, pray for those who persecute you. This is not a novel concept for Peter, and Peter knows what it looks like. Say, okay, John, what am I supposed to do? I'll give you three things to do. One, be real about your suffering. Be real. If somebody says, how are you doing today? They go, Terrible you may not want to go any further in this conversation because it's going to take about an hour and a half and we're not leaving as happy people. (laughs) Don't lie to me and say, I'm fine, Brother John. Let's be a family who can be real with one another. And let me say this, do not discount someone's pain and suffering just because you think they ought to get over it. Everybody's wired a little bit different. Everybody's temperament is a little bit different. Be kind, tenderhearted, loving, forgiving, as God in Christ has done for you. Be patient. Don't tell people just to buck up. When somebody is telling you the travail of soul that they're in, don't just quote to them, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Don't just tell them that one day at the end of days everything's gonna be okay. Sometimes you just need to park yourself in a seat next to them and be quiet and cry with them and put your arm around them. And just say stuff like, I love you, I'm with you. You don't always have to have an answer, you won't always know the answer but let's be real about it. When you groan and you cry and you question, you complain, I want you to think of ways that Christ is relating to you in all of it. Our faithful high priest can relate to every pain you face. Every single one. Seeing about how Christ relates to you and your pain. Second thing, be consistent. Don't run away from God when suffering hits. Run to him. Run straight to him. Do not Abandon the means of grace. You need his word every day. You need prayer every day. You need the gathering of this this family so that we can have a support system and community. Employ those means of grace. Don't just be controlled by what you feel. I need for you to know if you're here and you're prone to depression, I want you to know that if you are in Christ, you will never ever be left alone. Jesus said, I will be with you to the end of the whole age, when the new age comes in. You will never, ever in Christ be alone. Do not believe that lie. Hold fast. Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned, betrayed, to suffer. The last thing I would encourage you to do is rehearse what you know about God and say it out loud. You would be amazed at the power of the spoken word when you say things like he is worthy. Jesus, you are worthy of all of it in spite of this. You would be amazed, Jesus, you're so beautiful. Jesus, you're so kind. Jesus, you're so patient. It robs that suffering of its power and can actually give you joy. Rehearse it aloud. When I was a kid growing up, we used to have these books. They called them hymnals. We kept songs in them, and they were numbered. One of them said this. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, do not be discouraged, thinking all is lost. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Be real. Be consistent. Hold fast. Run to Jesus. And rehearse what you know about God aloud. About three years ago in December, a woman named Dr. Helen Rosevear, a British medical doctor who served for 20 years in Africa, passed away. She was rescued from sin and death while at a student retreat. During that student retreat, one of the things that happened was the veteran Bible teacher that was there wrote in her Bible, Philippians 3.10. She gave her testimony at the conclusion of that and received her missionary calling at the same time. And she said, I never wavered. And he, before she left, leaned in and he said this to her, tonight you've entered the first part of the verse that I may know him. This is only the beginning, and there's a long journey ahead. My prayer for you is that you will go on through the verse to know the power of his resurrection. And also, God willing, one day perhaps, the fellowship of his sufferings being made comfortable unto his death. While she was there in 1964, Congo declared its independence from Belgium. Belgium had not prepared the country for what was about to come, and civil war broke out. Most of the missionaries left. Helen chose to stay. It wasn't long until one of the militias came into their village. They were brutal and harsh. Lives were lost. And on one particular night, she found herself in a crowd... Of men in her own home dragging her down a hallway. She said, The questions remained for me. Was it worth leaving home? The singleness, the hard work, the suffering, the cost. And while she's being beaten and drugged down the hall, she said, I wasn't praying. I was beyond praying. There was somewhere back at home, and they were earnestly praying for me. But if I had prayed a prayer, it would have been something like, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But suddenly, there was God. I didn't see a vision. I didn't hear a voice. I just knew with every ounce of my being that God was actually vitally there. God, in all his majesty and power, stretched out his arms to me, surrounded me with his love, and he seemed to whisper 20 years ago, you asked me for the privilege of being a missionary. This is it. Don't you want it? She said, the thing that popped into mind was the privilege of being identified with Jesus. She said, as I was driven down the short corridor of my home, it was as though he clearly said to me, these are not your sufferings. They're not beating you. These are my sufferings. All I'm asking of you is the loan of your body. She said in that moment, an enormous relief swept through me. She received the brunt of their hatred. She was severely beaten, repeatedly raped. But she said one thing was so clear. It was a privilege to serve Jesus. She said it didn't take away the pain or the cruelty or the humiliation. No, it was was all still there, but it was different. It was with him and for him. And in him. And he was actually offering me the inestimable privilege of sharing in some of the little bit of his suffering. National Army, with the help of some mercenaries, defeated those rebels. She was rescued, flown back to England. When she got back, she related what had happened, but her theme was not anger, self pity, but how the Spirit had enabled her to thank him for trusting her with that experience even if the explanations of why never came. She stayed home a whole year, and then went back. Gave seven more years, establishing a 250-bed hospital, maternity complex, and leprosy care center. She really wanted to train those to care she established a training college for paramedical workers she founded several regional hospitals she did all of these different things a flying doctor service with mission aviation fellowship so that they could get medicine in places where it was difficult to come by as they were doing this the government had started giving some money but it wasn't enough and so she and her colleagues gave up 20% and you would think at this point Surely this woman has suffered enough. But the students felt they should receive more. They went on strike. They accused her of stealing college funds, lying, duplicity, falsifying the accounts and report sheets that she sent to the government. At last, to break the deadlock, she submitted her resignation, which was gratefully received. She writes in her book, The students left on Saturday. Not one came to say goodbye or shake hands. There were no photos of this qualifying class, my last group of students. There would be no diploma day. All the August festivities were to be canceled. My pride was truly laid in the dust and trampled upon. Is it really worthwhile? She had wanted the other missionaries to be worried about how they would ever continue without her. But the Lord said to her, no, you can't have it. Either it must be Jesus only, or you'll find you've no Jesus. And you'll substitute Helen Roosevelt for Jesus. A great long silence followed, several days of total inner silence. At last, I managed to tell him with all my heart. Jesus only. If you have an opportunity, look her up on YouTube. A woman in her 80s filled with joy, love, speaking of others. And talking about the privilege of serving Jesus. If you want to know what 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19 looks like, it looks like Dr. Helen Rosevear. When suffering comes into your life, it's normal if you belong to Jesus. Do not be surprised. But dear ones, it is through suffering that he is making you more like Christ. And I need a God who's big enough to be over suffering and evil so that I can trust he will see me safely home. If you are suffering today, we weep with you. We mourn with you. That pain is real. But don't suffer without hope. And entrust your soul to the faithful creator and continue to do good to others. Charles Spurgeon said this, I've learned to kiss the wave that strikes me against the rock of ages. In your suffering, there is a God who can actually give you joy, peace, and contentment. I'm going to pray, and when I get done praying, there'll be folks stationed at either of these tables. Some of you are suffering, and you may need to just have somebody pray with you and love on you a little bit. They'll be happy to do that. Wherever you are, though, I want you to know when it comes to our God, He is bigger than all things, and He loves like no other. He has told us in His Word, and we have heard And about an example entrust your soul to the faithful creator god who will not cannot fail he will hold you he will save you and he will see you safely home in your suffering don't be alone you can't be if you're in christ but this family loves you too you matter to god and you matter to us don't suffer alone